Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, yo, what's good? Check it out. This is your boy, Elder Sensei. One half of the legendary artifacts. You are right now in tune to my man, Tim Einenkel at the library on rapstation.com. Let's get it poppin', y'all. Artifacts. Peace, Elder Sensei. I'm out. Hear ye, hear ye. Yeah. In this future of hip-hop history, huh? I'm here to bring on the people's champ, R.A., the rugged man. New York MC R.A. the Rugged Man is one artist that seems to have experienced everything in the music world. He's gone through the ups and downs of the business. While most artists may very well have been discouraged from that, R.A. hasn't. R.A. is a true student of the art form and has constantly worked to develop his craft. I want to welcome R.A. the Rugged Man to the library with Tim Kell on RapStation.com. Hey, how you doing, man? So I want to start in the way beginning. When you first got your first big check from Jive Records, what were you doing before this? How did you find yourself in this situation with, I think, nine labels trying to get you? And then what obstacles did you run into when you officially were a Jive artist? Well, what I was doing before it, I, you know, I was a kid in Long Island. So, so you know, when I was a real little kid, I was nine, nine years old, I started working for the carnival and tra- traveling with the Silver Dollar Show carnival all throughout. You know, I was a carny. And then a paper boy when I was like, I did carnival from nine to 12 or 13 and a paper boy. Then I worked for the minibus company, uh, the bus company and, and was cleaning buses, you know, and then my cousin had sheetrocking business. I was sheetrocking and got a job at the supermarket, got fired from that, got a job at Sears, got in trouble there. But uh, through those years of me working, it was basically make some money go in the studio make some money go in the studio because it wasn't the era with home studios right. so every nickel I made went to studio 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 even like prom they were like you going to the prom I'm like nah I'm making a demo I ain't paying for no prom you know and then about 16 a couple people in the industry started taking notice you know but the neighborhood all knew you know as a little kid 13 14 I was known throughout the you know areas like oh you know that kid that little white kid he's crazy he's crazy you know I'd go and battle everybody but um, by the time I was 16, a couple industry people started, you know, catching on. And then 17, I started getting deals, you know. And by 18, I had a, a massive bid in war with all the labels. Nine deals, not all of them, but nine deals from, you know, Warner Brothers, uh, Priority, uh, uh, Capital, um, Def Jam, Tommy Boy, Mercury, um, Jive, you know, like all of them, you know, every, you know, so they all uh, all wanted it. And, uh and then once it happened, once I got on the labels, you know, I was, you know, I was wild. Long Island's wild. Chuck will tell you that, you know, we're a little bit wild out there. So, um, you know, I had that Long Island mentality, that, that rah, rah, you know, break thing mentality. And, and, you know, you end up in this industry, you love music your whole life. 
and then all of a sudden you're in this industry where it becomes a game and this business that's not about a culture and it's not about the music it's not about what you're actually doing right it's about uh a lot of other nonsense so you got that rah-rah mentality and you got you know the devils in the industry trying to you know exploit you so you do some rah-rah actions you know what happens to i mean my understanding is that you got this big check from 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 jive so what happens to an artist like yourself when something when it doesn't work out what, what happens to the check i mean do you have to give it back well here's the thing that big check isn't that big check you know you sign a deal see see a lot of people don't know i signed a deal for 1.8 million dollars for a six album deal so oh 1.8 already made millions a millionaire no 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 what that is you get that money to do six albums meaning the first album is probably three hundred and ten thousand dollar deal so that's what you're starting off with and they don't give you that all up front they'll give you say eighty thousand dollars to start then then when you do the next part they'll give you another 80 and you know something like that those are the basic numbers so you get your 80 thou wow you know i got eighty thousand dollars you know I'm, I'm broke my whole entire life i just, you know i put that check on my father's desk like yo Papa, look at this. Bow, $80,000 check. He was like, son, I love rap music now, you know? So, you know, so so it was, uh, it was real like that. But um, but then, you know, you got your producer. You, I got my partner. You got to pay pay him, you know, a good chunk of your, 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 you know? Then you got lawyer fees. And then you got studio costs. You got to record, you know, out of that money. And, you know, so then when everything started going crazy, you get a little bit of the second half of your advance. But then there's... You know, in my particular case, I got sued for for sexual harassment, which was false. I could have beat it, but the label paid them off out of my money. Wow. Without my, when my lawyer said, "No, that's evil. you know they they didn't even let the give the lawyer a chance. And in the contracts, it had it like where if something like that happens, they take care of it with, and it comes out of me. So they took that money out of me, and then what was left over is I had to pay off the second when when I finally left the situation. I, I had money left, but my lawyer said, you need to pay off the second halves of all the producers from the record. So I was like still pay and pay the lawyer fees and pay accountant fees. So all of a sudden you go from a $1.8 million deal to two years later, you probably got, you know, $400 to your name. Right, right. So, you know, that that's how that goes, you know. Marketing artists seems to be the most important thing a major label pushes. Um, today, actual skills seem less important than whether an artist is marketable. When you first started out, the label did not want to show your face. They wanted to, people to assume that you were black. Um, can you talk about that story? Also, it seems today that a white artist with lyrical skills like yourself would be the dream for our marketing. Um, do you think that's true? And also what changed in the business from when you first were signed to kind of today? Well, we live in a social media world now of celebrity, the Paris Hilton and the Kim Kardashians and the non-talent world. You know, you don't need talent. What, what, the, what the music industry now is, they care about who's a celebrity, who can they make a celebrity, who's got an interesting look. You know, there's a new kid who's got like a Uzi tattooed around his mouth. So, you know, all of a sudden there's talk about him. And, and then you got a, a character like, you know, a riffraff who got, the MTV and BT and the weird hairstyle and 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 a Panama James, you know, who wears furs and got like he's like more like a fashion statement. So it's it's not so much, you know, those guys are not rappers like a big pun or 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 let's bring it back to the '80s, the Canes. You know, that's not we're not living in that era. So they'll take a a guy, you know, like a riffraff over say a guy like Elzai or Locksmith 
who are like phenomenal, unbelievable MCs that 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 could destroy rappers, you know, and make great songs and make great music. They don't want that. They don't care about that. They want something that's that. Okay, what's gonna get you know shock attention and celebrity status? That people that's interesting to people that don't care about music. They care more about. Oh, look, some wild yeah. happened, yeah. or, or this is bugged out, or, or, or check out, you know, it's about characters and celebrity and personalities. So that's the game now. What you were saying about when I came in the game, yeah, a white boy lyricist type of thing, you know, wasn't really the thing. And, and, and if they did have somebody, they still always had to add a gimmick onto it. Like, you know, they had like, say, Everlast. So they said, okay, Everlast didn't sell no records when we had him with Ice-T and the L.A. Syndicate and, you know, that didn't do nothing. So, now we got House of Pain, Shamrocks, Irish, Beard, let, let's let's market it to that community and show, yo, white boy this, Irish, Irish, Irish. It's the same rapper, but now, you know, he's got, they marked him up to be, you know, so, 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 so for like a, a lot of white kids, it kind of was like that, you know? In my particular case, they said, "Oh, okay. He's he's an artist with with a um, a kind of a lyrical sound. He can get let's let's market him as a lyricist, but not let anybody know he's white. So if we if we don't show his face, you know, the black community will grasp him, the white community will grasp him, and then out of nowhere, once everybody says, oh, this lyricist guy is is the man, then we'll go and show his face and go, yo, that's a white boy.'" That was the gimmick that they wanted to do. So even in the first single, they they it's almost like the picture is like uh, in white face. It's like a, it's they they took the drawing of the white face and put it in black with white hair and white beard and and reversed it. So the actual photo is a, is a, almost like a black face picture that that they put on on the twelve inch single, the drawing. You know, your race seems to play a, today. I mean, your race and your rhymes seem to play a big role for you. I was kind of wondering why. Like, is that is that is it is it a reaction to what happened? What you just talked about? What happened early in your career? You live a certain lifestyle. I'm I'm I have a lot of the conscious rhymes, political rhymes, but at the same time, I have a lot of over the top, um, comedic comedy poke fun at myself. So one of the you know funny things to poke fun at is you know big goofy sloppy white guy. So if the line sounds funny and cool boom 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 throw it in there so it's not like i must you know address the fact that the caucasian mc is on the mic at this moment it's never like that if 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 you know if it's something in my life that uh came up and i can make a good little punchline fun joke out of it and and use that you know you know I, i'll use it i'll say something you know but uh uh yeah that's that's as deep as that gets it's not like i'm affected by my childhood you know because coming up in the era you know like I said, the 80s, uh, you know, a lot of kids, it was the 5% nation, you know, it was, was hip hop, it was the poor righteous teachers, it was it was the public enemies, it was the X-Clans. So, you know, I did get a lot of, you know, from all the other MCs in my neighborhood, it would be like, yo, you know, the white devil, you know, I heard a lot of that stuff, the Caucasoid and, and, and uh, you know, you heard a lot of that stuff. But, you know, you're just a kid and it's, it was, it was, you know, and I, it was never like, wow, this is scarring me. It was like, oh, my knucklehead. It's the same way, like, you know, you just talk nonsense with your boys and have fun with it, you know? So, but, I, you know, in that time, it was to a lot of the MCs in my circles, they um, took a lot of the teachings from that era and tried to, you know, hit me in the head with it and act like I was an enemy. Right. So, you know, but, uh, you know, it's hip hop. That's hip hop stuff, you know? Right. 
just from reading interviews it also in your rhymes you seem and even talking to you right now you seem very much against the kind of the whitewashing of uh by major labels of, of hip-hop and i'm only curious about this because i mean you obviously you're a white mc you're extremely talented um lyrically your flow is incredible and you're up there with the best of them i think but are there for you any internal struggles or any internal battles that you have uh kind of being a white mc in a black culture you know what's crazy is it's easier now because now white mcs are accepted on the regular you know and in fact they're trying to take the title of black music away from hip-hop So for an, a white MC to make a living now, it's almost like easier. You know, I see a lot, lot of uh, black kids that rhyme that can't have world tours. When I see some white boys having some world tours, that like, yo, they're not even close to as good as this dude. But you know, he's got the white fan base and tours. You know, and boom, boom, boom. So, so it's easier now for a white MC. Not, not me in particular. You know, I, I spent twenty five years rhyming and twenty years in the game. So, so it took me. You know, but I'm saying as a whole. Um, you know, back in the day when I was coming up, hip hop culture and R and B even Billboard charts was the black music. It wasn't the the R and B charts or the urban charts. It was black music. And at the record labels, they had the black music department. And then when when more white folks started doing music from the black music department and you know making black music then all of a sudden it started becoming oh the the urban music or the r&b music they didn't want to use black music no more they took it away so um in that up and coming era when i was doing some things you know i was doing that rah rah rowdy white boy and you know and it was before you know seven eight years before m and you know m did that wild stuff but before that, they were like, yo, who's this 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 white kid coming into our culture and doing like this, you know, porno and going saying the foul, you know, who? why does he think he get away with that? But on the flip side, I was getting a lot of that stuff from, you know, Just Ice, you know, this, you know, the original gangster hip hop, this record you're about to hear contains, contains explicit dirty lyrics like, uh, uh, your mother's, uh, 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 you know, you know, them, them dirty foul mouthed MCs or, or, or um, Schoolie D, you know, uh, uh, I was, I was influenced by a lot of, you know, th- those cats, even Redman, like he, you know, on Rated R, he was like, you know, Naughty M by Nature, plus I'm down with OPP, the best part about it, I got, it. you know, like, wow, those lyrics were very, very, very extreme, probably more extreme than a lot of the stuff I said, but, you know, I still had to work my way up to get the acceptance, you know, and it's funny because, like, say Karis One, when I first went to Jive, I said, oh, what's Chris think about me? And 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 I think Fenster one of them was like, oh, he he didn't he wasn't really blown away, you know, blah blah blah. So I was like heartbroken, like Chris don't like me, you know. But but I, I don't know that that's just by hearsay. I didn't know that. But then once I started paying a little dues, then I was in the tunnel. I seen Kenny Parker, you know, you know, uh, Kara's brother, and uh, you know that did all the boogie down productions beats. I seen him in the tunnel, and he was like, yo, that every record label sucks joint. That's classic. Me and Chris were driving to our show and we listened to that joint over and over for six hours. And I was like, oh, man, I just got my props from Karis One. You know, I'll redeem myself from the the guy at the label telling me Chris wasn't a fan, you know. So, you know, but, you know, and then I think through the years, then the brand new beings came up to me and Sadat, like, yo, I love your records. And like, you know, all all the guards started coming to me saying, yo, I'm a fan of your stuff, you know. And then... It's just, you know, 
you got to work your way. You can't just show up and be like, hey, I'm a great rapper. Yeah, totally. You got to pay them dues a little bit, at least back then. Now you could just show up on the scene, you know, pump pump all his money behind the artists and, and give them a little image and a Twitter page, and they're accepted because it's not about music, actually. It's about, you know, uh, uh, this and that. You know what I mean? So it's a different era, you know? Coming from that answer, is there... As you gain more fans and as you gain popularity and as you continue to develop your craft, is there, I guess, is there a quote unquote fear for you that you could get to the point where you will become, like, could become the face of hip hop? Uh, or is that something that you're trying to avoid because you don't want hip hop to have a, have a white face? You know what's funny though? Remember how I was talking about like, you know, the, the black MCs in my hood that, that were, you know, into, you know, the white man is the devil yeah. and blah, blah, blah. On the flip side of that, now this is because it was unacceptable. So, so then the white folks in the neighborhood who love hip hop now, but back then they were n word lover. You, you, you n word wannabe. You, you know, they're sitting there saying that I, you know, they were they were angry that I was a rapper. You know, uh, um, you know, the white folks hated me more than the black folks. The black folks actually in the neighborhood took me in and was like, "Yo, that little white boy could rhyme." Yo, yo, get him at the party. Yo, yo, bring that white boy there. But the the white kids, you go to like little white neighborhoods and and they, they couldn't accept it. They're, oh, you want to be black. You're a wannabe. You're a wannabe black, you know? Now them same kids are the same ones saying, rap isn't black music. It's for everyone. The same kids that back in the day would be like, hey, you're an N-word level for trying to do this music, you know? So the thing is, if there's a, a Caucasian face saying this is hip hop, okay, that's cool because they embrace the culture. But... The problem is, is when they take the culture and they pretend like the roots never existed, like, you know, uh, Grandmaster Kaz never existed or, or um, see, here's the thing, too. A lot of times say, you know, oh, oh, this MC that, you know, they just pretend like the first decade or so didn't exist in hip hop. And it was always this white culture that that created by white folks. And and a lot of young kids are and they go, oh. Look, the greatest rap on the planet's Eminem, and he outsells everybody, and he runs the rap game. So forget everybody else. Like I, I, those are actual comments that I read very often, you know. So that's not cool, and M wouldn't think that's cool. I don't think that's cool. No other white rapper thinks that's cool. But there's ignorance in the planet, and of course they're gonna rewrite history because they don't want to feel ignorant or they don't want to feel left out. You know, they oh, this is everyone's culture, and we started it too. You know, I've seen comments where people be like, "Well, white people made the the machines and the drum machines and this, and white people ran the label. Rap wouldn't exist without white people." So anybody saying that it's black culture is crazy but that's what we're up against you know where and then people go it's racist to even bring up race and call it black music no it's not what's racist is to to be threatened by the fact that it was a black culture not that it was that that it is a black culture and, and was started by black people in the black community to to, to try to be a, to be offended by that to me is racist you know because you you then the other comments you hear they'll say oh you know, so is that like saying that Jimi Hendrix isn't welcomed in rock music? Idiot, you just rewrote the books. You're acting like rock music was started by white folks. That's the problem when they rewrite history because everybody with knowledge knows that rock and roll was a, was a, was a black culture, black music started by black folks. But then white folks come in and they rewrite history and act like Jimi Hendrix was new and black people didn't do it before him and Elvis is the god, <laughs> you know? That's what's not cool. I asked that question because I'm just wondering if you're for someone who obviously respects the culture, if you're if you're worried that 
I mean, let's say 10 years time, um, same thing that happened to rap music happens to rap well, music. Yeah, right. It's already happened. That, that you don't got to wait 10 years. It's already happened. You know, that's the bottom line. And I mean, it's been happening since white folks been doing rap records, right. though. I mean, I mean, uh, Ch- Chuck, you know, got all the love in the world for the Beasties. Everybody loves the Beasties. But when the Beasties album dropped, sold three and a half million records. It was the biggest rap album ever made at the time, sales wise. Or, or, you know, biggest rap album or, or one of them top. I think it's the biggest selling album at the time that was hip hop. Three, three and a half million copies. And now was the Beastie Boys album the greatest rap album that ever was made at that time? No, it wasn't. Right. But it was great. It was a great album, great chemistry. Rick Rubin killed it. You know, the whole, you know, the Beastie Boys, fun. Everybody loved the records. But, you know, it's like the white community was able to be like, whoa. And the black community heard the beats. And like, yeah, yeah. So everybody got to feel that one. And the white community grasped it. Same thing with uh, out of all the rappers that ever existed. Then when Vanilla Ice came out, he had 11 million records sold. So the second... And the only one that sold more was Hammer. Now, to only have the second best-selling rap of all time is Vanilla Ice when he comes out. Out of when there's only like five rappers that have existed. <laughs> and, you know, the percentage shows you that, that it's race-oriented. Like, okay, we're going to buy white folks' music because we're white folks. You know, that that's what happens. You know, so... so And, and then, same thing, Eminem comes out, he sells more records than every rapper in the history of rap music. And when you go... It's not that white rappers are better it's that they market to a white audience to sell you know now Iggy Azalea she's selling more than than, than you know 90% of rappers on the planet earth she'll outsell every great lyricist <laughs> you know because you're white girl big and, and you, you know what I mean so, so it's a marketable thing but if you go for the percentage of white rappers that have been marketed on a mass scale for them to be the highest sellers period that shows you the mentality of the masses and, and what's marketable to the masses or what they d- decide is marketable to the masses, you know? I want to go on back to something that you touched on. You talked about, um, you know, listening to music in the 70s and uh, soul music. Um, in Legends Never Die, uh, Daddy's Halo, You Spit. You talk about your father playing Sam Cooke and the Four Tops to you um, and how you really appreciate that he taught you, and you know, taught you about black music. How important do you think that was to you is to you as a hip hop artist and also how important do you think it is to future hip hop artists is to kind of know about this music and as opposed to versus like being inspired by today's rap music well i learned everything from my dad not just not just uh soul music i learned everything from you know and my mother but you know uh from boxing to movies to well not so much the movies but to the music you know but i think having music in your household is definitely a big, big um, plus for any artist, whether it's hip-hop or R&B or, or rock. You know, having the music in your household is a big, big factor. It's like almost like, uh, you know, the, the the Gracie family. They train them Brazilians. You know, once they come out, they, the little kids are fighting, you know. So, so, you know, when you have a household that's full of music, which which uh, uh, a, lot of, a lot of households in the community do have that, you know, you know, four or five years old they're doing some dancing doing some singing in the church or doing some singing there or this and that 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 always that's always something that helps uh so so of course like like a, a kid coming up in the suburbs and they got a family that loves 
Wu-Tang Clan and they, they played Wu-Tang for the kid their whole life and now the kid's 19, 18, he might be spitting better bars because of that, you know, or like or like a father that, that's a big fan of, of, of Nas' album, you know, because I'm thinking of the kids that were born in the 90s now and now they're, now they're 15, 18 years old, you know, in, influenced by these records that their, their, their mom and dad was listening to the house. So of course, it's going to help rather than someone that's never been exposed to hip hop and then just starts rhyming when they're 15 years old and heard some new songs on the radio and trying to do that. Those rappers usually aren't going to be very good. Of course, there's, there's, there's times where some of them will be. I'm saying, you know, boxing. You know, uh, Cassius Clay goes to the gym. He's eight years old, nine years old. He's training. You know, when, when you get things at a young age, it's always going to help you. You know. Another lyric that I like in um, "Legends Never Die," uh, Daddy Taylor, you uh, you say, uh, "My only regret about not selling out is getting richer." Uh, what would what is selling out to you? I was talking to my father. I said, "My only regret about not selling out and getting richer." is that I could have made millions and spent it with you. I was talking to my dad because my father passed away. Like, you know, if I had, you know, played the game the way they wanted to and made the music they wanted it to wanted me to make, you know, uh, a lot of that, that money would have been mine, you know. So that, that's my only regret is that I couldn't, you know, buy my pop a house and I had to see my father broke a lot, you know, and struggle every month and wait for his monthly check because my father was, uh, you know... Struggling man, so you know, and and he went through a lot of his his uh, years through poverty. So that's my only regret is that I didn't come and take care of the family. You know, I mean, I did like if my father's broke, I go to the house and buy him some groceries. Hey, let's go, let's go on a shopping spree at the supermarket, buy some groceries for the house. You know, I did little things like that, but I didn't get to buy him a house or nothing crazy like that. That I would have liked, you know. But the definition of selling out is when. Uh, when you're not true to yourself, it's so obvious. And, and sometimes when somebody makes a song that sounds commercial, people go, that's selling out. I don't, I don't agree with that either. I think if the artist loves the music he's making, yeah. and, and maybe it sounds commercial, maybe it doesn't, if it's a beautiful song to them and they're proud of it, and they're, yeah, I love this record, and they, leave, they love it, how's that selling out? Selling out is when you're making things that match the radio that you know is whack <laughs> and you're just going to do it to, you know, okay, this is going to get me more hits. So I'm going to make this whack record. Oh, not whack, but I'm going to make this, even though I'm not really happy, I don't really like it, but this is what's going to, you know, make me sell more records or this feature is going to make me sell, you know, triple platinum instead of one time platinum or, you know, th that kind of sellout stuff or, or d d going against what you feel is true and saying things fake and lies just to gain fan bases, that's selling out. You know, just to say anything that and and not give your opinion and give fake opinions to, to, to the masses so that they accept you. That's some sellout stuff. I want to keep talking about a few tracks in uh, Legends Never Die. Um, and Shoot Me in the Head, you spit, I'm the last one that should ever speak. I should say politics for dead prez and immortal technique. Oh, yeah, that's, that, that whole song is a comedy. But there are times that you are political, yeah, yeah. and like, and 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 you know, for example, in Learn Truth with Talib Kweli. Uh, so when do you? I guess what inspires you to be political? What inspires you to be comedic, et cetera, et cetera? Well, it depends what song it is. And shoot me in the head. It, the whole thing is like shoot me in my head. I'm a piece of ish. I'm a uh, you the whole thing's a curse word. I'm like like every word and it's a curse and I'm saying non-political things it's a total comedy it's a farce and I got opera singers calling me names on it singing and so it's a comedy record so 
and then and then I go into this crazy political world where I'm actually making sense in a lot of ways against politicians and I'm dropping some knowledge in it, but I'm saying it in a degenerate way. So as a comedy for the last line, I said, I'm the last one they should ever let speak. I should save politics for dead present, a mortal technique. Then the hook comes in. I'm a piece of I'm a, and dissing myself. So it's, you know, one of them uh, self-deprecating type records. So it's just a comedic line. So I know some people take it literal, but uh, I was having fun, you know. And, and when I decided to get political on records it's not like a conscious decision where i'm like this is the song i'll be political i pick up the pen maybe something's bothering me or maybe i have some kind of um images in my head and i say okay this is what's coming out of me so it's not a conscious decision like this will be my political record it's just like i pick up the pen i write and when it heads in that direction i go Okay, uh, this is the direction we're gonna go in this record. That's all. It's it's never ahead of time. That, you know, except you know sometimes I know when a song's gonna be a degenerate record. Like this is some degenerate ish that we're about to record. <laughs> you know, um, I want to kind of talk about your your writing process and also your 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 development as an artist. Uh, I mean, I, first time I heard you was on uh, Sound Bombing One. You seem to take you know obvious pride in what you do and your lyrics your breath control kind of your flow you you take it seriously um for you what's the best time to write everybody has different ways to write you know like i talk to a guy like master ace and he says hey if i don't feel it i, I won't write for a couple of weeks and then when it comes out i'm ready you know me i'm kind of like you know the strict regimen where it's like okay i'm uh i'm writing today i'm writing tomorrow like even if it's not coming out out of me i'll write whack bars just to be writing almost like you know jogging you know like like right before the big marathon like let me write whack bars if i'm whack, writing whack bars for two three days oh okay that's that's what it is i'm writing whack bars and then out of them whack bars the good ones eventually come you know it's like it's like you know it's like exercising you know exercising the brain for for the for the big one you know so so that's how i write i i, I okay if you ain't writing 16 good bars today you know then you're writing 32 good boss tomorrow you you know like <laughs> a track like uh tom thumb how the hell did you come up with that uh i, I think it was just i mean it's an incredible track in terms of your showcasing your your ability to spit in all lyrics you change up i mean it seems like it's one of those tracks that you take us on a, a kind of a journey through every era of hip-hop um is this a track where you and producer will tell just kind of worked side by side uh, in terms of the beat and the lyrics, or were the beat first and then the lyrics? How, how did this come together? Well, no, I'm. This, this is how I do a lot of my album, though. I, I will tell gave the basic uh, drum, snare, kick, and 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 the the melody, and I I I thought the beat wasn't full enough, so. Uh, but I could just write to it all day. So I was like, yo, I could write so many bars to this. But the beat, at first I was like, yeah, some dope 90s stuff, which that's what it was. It's like a throwback 90s type beat. I love it. And I could write to it all day. But then like when we start, when I did the verses, I'm like, it doesn't sound, it, it sounds like a beat in a rhyme, which which what it was, you know? Yeah. So then I said, okay, we got to go a little heavier with this. So then Tom Thumb is a famous beatboxer from Australia. He's, a, he's a, won awards and tours the world beatboxing. He's a really great beatboxer. So uh, I reached out to Tom. I said, listen, 
you know, I want to give this more elements. Right now it's 90s. I want to make it 80s and I want to make it 2010s. Uh, you know, I want to, I want to, so, so you're going to be my 80s element. So I'm going to throw you in there doing some beatboxing. And he came with all these different elements of beatboxing throughout. So I was able to do all these beatbox drops and then come back to Will Tell's 90 beat, 1990s beat. And then I was still like, you know what? It sounds like two errors. We need to make it more modern so then i brought in the the, the violinists I, I you know i i knew this uh girl sits on strings and this guy brian who plays viola and they did all these crazy violins on it and uh it became you know like modern old school 80s 90s and a lot of people didn't get i was going for that you're the first one i heard say that like i got all these different errors in, in one record and that's actually 100% what I was going for so that's kind of dope that you called that man uh, as mentioned your style flow lyrics etc you've developed does the weird way you seem more confident now in your flow and like how to and, 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 and in experimenting with different flow and lyrics if that's true or not true whatever but how did your development as a lyricist come about uh, from when you kind of first started out to now well what it's, it's not so much confident what it was is that I got confident that I could do any era that I want and that that's why I think that my 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 flow is like that because a lot of the crazy fast flows that I do that a lot of people are impressed with is stuff that I was doing when I was a teenager a lot of those you know like a lot of those kind of flows were from my youth and then in the 90s when you know the whole you know Nas Raekwon like the you know it was almost Rakim did the serious you know like straightforward like I'm a rhyme and just be so lyrical and I'm the god and then that kind of, then it turned into, you know, and then there was the, the whole, you know, Chuck and, and X-Clan. But then 90, 91 started coming on, you know, Heavy D started getting a little bit more fun with his flows. Even though he was 80s, Mr. Big Stuff, but I'm talking about like, you know, he'll be, he'll be like, stripper, hippie, hip, hipper, you know, like he was doing that wild stuff. And then it, they'd be like, you know, and Grand Poolba came with that, step to the rear, Grand Poolba on a, you know, a little bit more fun. And then you had Chip Foo and chub rock and all these kind of different like flow type of artists that, that had fun with it so um in the mid 90s with all the you know big papa and all, it kind of that fun kind of weird type of thing was kind of like no now we're about mob deep real keep it real so that silly you know chip fool positive k stuff ain't what we're doing in 97 and 96 and you know what i mean so so it started getting a little bit more serious you know so then i i i kind of you know and then i lost all my money with the label and this and that so so then i kind of stepped back a little and simplified my flow you know which i shouldn't have done but um i did it i said okay okay cool you know i could rhyme you know more simple like that but then i slowly started bringing the, the fast flows and the wild flows back into my stuff for little pieces. And every time I did it, they'd be like, oh my God, I already killed that. Did you hear that part? I'm like, I, I'm just doing that when I'm 15. <laughs> you know, so then slowly I, I started grabbing a lot of those flows and, 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 you know, and doing modernized on steroids versions of them too. But like, you know, so now what it is, is now I have, you know, I started rhyming as a little kid in the 80s, little, little boy in the 80s. So now I got 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s. This is a bunch of different decades of, you know how many flows I've done in those decades? So now when I realize, when I put on a beat, you don't have to be serious, mob deep. You don't have to be this. You could, okay, this one I'm feeling 1980s. This one I'm feeling, okay, Tech 9 does that stuff. I'm going to do an RA thing 
on some strange music type of beat and watch what R.A. could do to that. You know, like I could do any flow that I want and I'm not held down to one style to try to, you know what I mean? So, so, um, now I just rhyme any way I want, whenever I want, whatever kind of flow, whatever. And it, you know, cause, cause certain flows aren't accepted on the radio. We don't give a hell about the radio. So we care about making great records. So now, okay, this one, I'm going to mellow out and have a simple flow, but that's the, you know, I don't care who plays it, but that's what feels to this beat. This one, I'm going to go, retarded out of control flow you know what i mean and that's what you you get on it i do whatever i want now so that might be a little bit more of the confidence that you hear you know do you have a favorite error to flow in i i like the the error that i just mentioned you know i like them grand poobas and positive k's and and, you know I, i love the you know uh I love that step to the rear. Grand pool was on arrival raised in the ghetto singing songs for you know and and i i love uh you know, kids in the cribs want this from the big man. Can he come out? Can he come out, Slamma Jam? I'm his number one fan. Yes, I am. You know, the whole Chub Rock I, and, and and the whole, um, you know, I like that era. And I like, you know, the show, the show stopping confident rhyme era too, like where uh, even earlier where you take it and you go, go watch Houdini live today even. And, you know, Jalil, uh, I mean, Ecstasy has that voice. You know, party, he don't have crazy multis. You know, but he, that's not what rap is all about. You know, some rappers could have multi, some rappers don't need them. Listen to the voice when Ecstasy's voice comes out of his mouth. You know, the party ain't until after dark. Until the party really start, I always had to be home by 10. That's an art form that's missing in hip-hop today where people think, okay, I got multi, so I don't even have to sound good as an MC. My voice doesn't mean nothing. So, like, you know, I like... I like all eras of hip hop, you know. And then you go um, today. I'm having this rap rap competition on my site. A little sixteen year old boy came in there and did some super triples, like, like like flows with so ill. And he's a young boy. And the reason he's so nice is a kid named Afro. But the reason why he was so nice is because his influences are the golden era. You know, his favorite rappers. His little kid, sixteen years old, favorite rappers. Big Daddy Kane, he listed all of them before before he even know I heard his thing. Big Daddy Kane, me, Farrell Monch, Rakim he loves, Karis One he loves, a little boy though. And, and a big, big, big overweight kid with an image, is, you know, is, you know, real, real uh, and good, strong voice. And then he said, oh, my, my favorite singers are Sam Cooke and Bill Withers. I was like, yo, this kid's the greatest kid of all time. So he educates himself on the music. That's why he's able to do so many great flows and be such a good rapper at his young age, you know? Imagine you're like, you're sure you're 16? You're not like 50? <laughs> yeah. That's what, that's what, well, when he, when he did the rhyme, he had a, a Rock Kim. He's like, Rock Kim taught me. So I thought he was like a 30-something-year-old yeah. dude, or, you know? And then he said, you know, like the KRS Blastmaster. And I was like, I was like, yeah, he's an older cat from my era. Cool. He's dope. That he's killing it. This guy's killing it. I wonder where he's been. Then it was like, then at the end of the rhyme, he's like, and the 16 year old boy. But I said, like, what? <laughs> and then I looked at the pictures of him, like, oh, he's a little 16 year old kid. Big, you know, big heavy set dude. Looks like kind of like a newer, newer, wilder version of like, he's like Biggie and Chub Rock mixed with an ODB type of. <laughs> uh, as you mentioned, you, you, you announced this. Uh, definition of a rap flow contest you know prizes include five hundred dollars cash and a mr green produced final uh, single pressed by nature sounds judges include yourself talib Kweli, locksmith mers and obviously many others what are you looking for in an mc when you're judging this contest 
oh, I just wanted them to, to obliterate MCs. That's the rules I said. I said, yo, just obliterate MCs. Give us something new, you know? Give us something, just be an incredible MC. And I had posted this one kid. People, oh, he won already? I said, no, he didn't win because there's seven other judges. Just because I like him doesn't mean the boy won yet, you know? But, uh, and plus there's still, the, the contest doesn't end until September 30th, so there's more people coming to do it. So the boy didn't win yet, but I just... You know, if I like him, hey, I posted it up on my thing, and people are like, oh, he's just doing speed rap. He ain't lyrical. Like, he is lyrical. He's saying some fun, cool stuff. Not everything has to be, you know, a Nas type of lyric or a Mortal Technique kind of lyric. Like I said, it could be more on that fun chub rock type of thing. And he had all these crazy flows, and, uh, you know, everyone, most people loved him, but the ones that did this, I'm like, oh, he's, it's like, you can't do what he does. So don't say it's it's not good because he's technically a lot better than you. <laughs> but you want to say, oh, he's not lyrical because you can't do what he's doing. And then I looked at some of the kids' other music and he was lyrical on some slow stuff too so they could all, you know, back up off the boy, you know. <laughs> so is it based on one single or is it based on... Yeah, one, one contest, one, one entry, you know. But there's... so You know what's great is that there's a couple boys out of England who did a couple, uh, one white kid, one black kid, and they both went crazy. They obliterated it. And so, like, a lot of the great submissions were very early, so I said, said, good. Because the thing, when you do a competition where you're saying, I'm looking for a great MC, the worst thing that could happen is a great MC doesn't enter, and you got all this mediocrity, and then you're like, this is the great MC winner, you know? So right off the bat, uh, it's like, well, whoever wins is going to be great because we got great rappers already. So, you know, there's a lot of great kids who entered and a lot of great rappers that entered. I, I, I wish I knew the kids of the the names of the, the, the English guys, but they're part of the same crew. And there's two of them, and they both did their own submission in both of them. I was like, wow, these dudes is crazy, you know. As you mentioned, you've been, you know, rhyming for 25 years. Um, so far in your career, what 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 track or tracks do you think from yourself uh, kind of best define where you are right now in your career? Well, you know, a track that I really like, um, I like my rhyme and I like doing it, doing the rhyme and people love when I do it. I really like the, um, the rhyme and the song I do with Tragedy and Hellraiser called The Renaissance 2.0. I really like that record, you know. Uh, it's, it's not one of my best known, but I thought it was phenomenal. I really like that record a lot. But um, I, love, I love everything on Legends Never Die, my new album. I really love it. And the stuff I'm working on right now for the next album is my best work again. I'm going to make sure every album I do, that album will be better than the one before it or I'm not going to be putting out albums no more. So so this this next album, the stuff I'm coming up with in the studio right now, because I want to keep improving or I don't want to do it no more. So this the new stuff I'm working on, I'm very, very, very proud of. I'm only like five to seven rough songs done. But some of the stuff I got for this is really, really uh, stuff that I'm really proud of so far. So I'm going to make sure that everything else on the album's that caliber or better than that, you know? So. Just real quick before we go, what? How do you know as an artist? How do you know you're you're satisfied with your final product? Like, what what is your criteria for? Yeah, knowing that, like, all right, I just nailed this song. The song's done. Move on to the next. Oh, what's what's the criteria for you? Well, I got Chris Conway, who's my engineer, who mixes my stuff, and I'm blessed to have him because the problem with my last album before I found him was I was looking for the right engineer for it. So like my rhymes was good, my choruses were right, the beats were right. 
but I just couldn't get the mix that I wanted because a lot of the engineers from my era are out of business because everybody has home studios now and they all think they're professional engineers. So you get all these mediocre mixes all over and everything sounds like it's a mixtape. It don't even sound like a real record. So, uh, and they all mix with these highs now, you know, they take the bass and the thump out of it and I want mine to sound thick, hard and solid like, like a hip hop track, you know? Uh, so, I, I don't got it on two inch reel, I, I, but but I wish I did. But this is the closest thing to two inch reel that I'm gonna get. And, and once it's on the board and it sounds beautiful from the mix, and I'm happy with the rhyme and the beat is right, and, and I put it in, then then I'm happy. But it takes a lot of work for me to get happy. Like I, I, I add a lot, a lot, a lot of elements to all my songs, and I keep going back and and you know doing little things to them until they're right. Because uh, I'm, you know, a little bit of a one-man gang, you know, so uh, take some time, you know. Well, I just said one-man gang, but then I just talked about Chris Conway. I do got a, a good team, so so that that was kind of selfish to say that, but but uh, uh, Chris Conway, and then I got great producers who come in, you know, and, and hand great instrumentals, you know, Mr. Green and and uh, Buck Wild and Mark Niles and and uh, Will Tell, like you had mentioned, and. You know, I got a lot of great producers who work with me, you know. So, uh, C. Lance is a young kid who, who got some good, great beats too, you know. So, I got a lot of good people in my corner. So, that, so, so but I'm a one-man gang as, as far as building the entire album as an album. That's what I meant by that. And, and I'm a one-man gang as far as putting the damn videos and the touring and getting everything, you know, getting my own career popping. And sometimes I feel there's a lot of weight on my shoulders, you know, so... He's Ari the Rugged Man. Uh, I want to thank him so much for joining me on the library with Tim Einenkel on rapstation.com. Thank you, man. No doubt. And thank uh, thank my brother Chuck D, man. He always shows me so much love, man. And, you know, that's one of my heroes. So every time he shouts me out and gives me love, I'm like a little kid, you know. I'm like, oh, Chuck, shout me out. Chuck likes my stuff. Oh, Chuck is, you know, Chuck's talking about me. Wow. You know, it's like, it's a big deal. You know, I appreciate stuff like that, you know. And a lot, a lot of the people who I, I grew up listening to and who are the greatest rappers of all time show me a lot of love. You rock him, you know, get on the phone, rock him. And, yeah, oh, I love what you're doing for the culture, man. I really do, R.A., man. You're doing beautiful things. Like, wow, rock him, you know. And and uh, Kane showing me love. And all, these, all the MCs that are the greatest of all time. Cool G Rap showing me love. And that's incredible to me, you know. So, uh I appreciate Chuck always doing that, and I appreciate being part of his show, you know? Yo, I'm uncontrollably gifted. I totally ripped it. I'm vocally vicious, naming the best ever. I'm supposed to be listed, even if I'm emotionally and overly twisted and socially timid. And every chick had left with a broken ovary when I hit it. The fans follow me like disciples. I'm Charlton Heston, not the Moses version. I'm the gun toting version with the rifles. Don't let them crabs gas you when I'm jacking the rapper and ripping the jacket, detaching your ass and using the machete to smash you. I'll rob anyone anywhere under the jacket, the flame. I'll pull a gun out at your wedding while your grandma do the Macarena. All these feminine rappers want to see me dead and buried. Too many rappers is dread. Queen Dow, Tyler Perry. Sick of the similar imitating. I did it already. The pitiful paid him. The bigger, the better, the bait him. You biting what I spit it already verbatim. I don't need to breathe when I rap. I got gills. Fuck lungs. I'm like a superhero. Out of the toilet of the slums. Come on. Oh, Check 
Waking up for the night at the crib with a B-movie actress Shotgun next to the bed and a wad of cash under the mattress As a kid I wasn't into theatrics After school my daddy used to teach me combative green beret tactics My flow natural, you artificial beast up Barry Bonds and Balco Dope and dog food, I spit heroin, your rhymes are out cold I ain't into the tight jeans I'm into bar brawls, brass knuckles and bloody fight scenes The mainstream pussies ever give me props? No nada, it's like the Fox News giving props to Obama Wait, I teach the children in the world the word hate I eat pussy till every dyke on the earth turns straight I'm disturbing with the grammar I'm more disturbing than the bombing in the Baptist church in Birmingham, Alabama I've been repping, I put a hit on any paper that my pen blessing I'm nice with the hands, each fist is a registered weapon I leave you forever resting I don't care if you beefed up steroids or what you bench pressing I'm at the Best Western, tossing your girl salad with some French dressing Hit you with a batter, a hatchet, or the back of a ratchet My flow ain't a rapper to match it Too much lyricism to digest, I do it on purpose Two of my bars is more lyrical than two of your verses Come on, Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.